Welcome to Coffee, Cocktails, and Conversation with Felicia. As a friendly reminder, each episode is accompanied by an article written by yours truly. Any videos, images, or other references mentioned in this episode can be found in the article link posted in the episode's description. I challenge you to read it with an open mind and learn from it. While you're there, subscribe to my social channels as well as my email and text alerts so you don't miss anything. I had intended to talk about just a couple of key points to recap February of 2024, but as I was sitting down putting this podcast together, I realized, wow, so much happened just since the beginning of this year. And I don't know if I can actually script it. I don't know if I could actually write it out and make it make sense. Um, So... I decided I was just going to do some key points on the article that accompanies this episode and the rest of it I'm just going to talk about here for those of you who are listening. So let's get into it. So February 2024 saw global events ranging from political upheavals to cultural celebrations that captured the attention of people all over the globe. There's no possible way I can touch on everything that's happened just within the past 30 days. So I'm just going to highlight a few things and speak on them from my point of view. Um, But I also want to hear your point of view. So feel free to chime in. Let me know in the chat. Let me know in the comments. Message me. Come on my show. Whatever you want to do. Let's talk about it. Um, So where do I begin? Well, first of all, my house smells like peaches and incense, and I love it. Um, I have my mimosa here, my late afternoon mimosa before we have dinner. Um, so I'm relaxed. I'm in a great mood, good spirits. Um, just re- want to recap on February and see how everyone is doing with what's going on um, on the main stage of the world, on the country, the globe. So let's get started with that. Um, Let's start off with, wow, we have two wars that we know of going on simultaneously. Um, The war on Ukraine, of course, and Gaza, Israel, um, that waged war on Hamas, which we talked about in a previous episode. Um, But it's, it's escalated quite a bit. It's also affecting, you know, the presidential election, which we'll talk about a little bit as well. Um, Let's see. We have the Super Bowl. We have the topics of Joe Biden and his age, Um, the shootings at the Super Bowl celebration. 
Alexei Navalier being murdered in prison. The list goes on and on and on. So I'm going to start first with Joe Biden. President Joe Biden. Let's give him the respect that he needs. He is the president of our free nation. Joe Biden's age and the political impact it has on his candidacy for 2024. Um, I refuse to accept that Joe Biden at the age, President Joe Biden at the age of 81 years old is incapable of leading our country. And the reason I say that is because Donald Trump is not (laughs) too far behind in age. And let's just remember that. In addition, Joe Biden, President Joe Biden has an entire team of fully qualified individuals to assist him with whatever he needs, whatever it is. He has faced scrutiny over his age. He has faced scrutiny over his fitness, over his mental capacities. Even in recent days, 24 hours, I believe he just had his annual exam yesterday and came back with, you know, all stars, for lack of better words. Um, Nothing that would cause concern um, for him being the age that he is. I think that on the other side of that, when we're just looking at age in general, it's too general. Um, I do believe that there is an argument there as far as age is concerned when it comes to politics, when it comes to leading the country. Should the person that is the leader be able to relate to the upcoming generations. And right now, when it comes to candidates, Donald Trump and President Joe Biden and potentially Nikki Haley, we'll see where that goes with the the Biden trials. Uh, I'm sorry, the Trump trials. We'll see where that goes. Um, whomever the candidate is, they do need to have the ability to connect with the generation that's coming up. But they also have to be able to connect with the generation that's already considered to be the adults, the elders, per se. Um, I think that when it comes to our younger demographic, the, the younger adults in the country, they don't have anyone to look at either way, whether it is President Joe Biden or former President Donald Trump. They just hear what their parents say. They just hear what's on the TV. They don't relate to either candidate. So if they had another candidate that could connect with them in any form or fashion, whether it be on how they're going to buy a house in the future, how, what kind of job they're going to have in the future. Is it even necessary for them to go to college in the future? Those are the subjects that matter to them. Um, Global warming in how it's going to affect their lives when they become adults, when they become old enough to have children of their own and be functioning members of society. They are in a position right now where they're not sure what that looks like. 
And I feel that as the adults in the room, we have to take into account that the kids of now are not the same as we were. They are not the same as our parents were. They have computers in their pockets literally all day long, every single day. They have information. They can get alerts for it in real time. They don't even have to ask their parents advice on topics or subjects that they have an interest in. If they want to know, they literally Google it. They have the Google God, as I say, quote, unquote. They Google it. Um... They, I, I find that even with my own child, my youngest daughter, she will Google what I'm saying while I'm saying it just to make sure that she doesn't need to fact check me on anything that I'm saying. And you know what? I'm not even mad at her for it. I'm glad that she does it because it lets me know that she is not susceptible to just receiving information anywhere without questioning that information. And I have to I have to come to terms with the fact that most kids no matter their age right now are that same kid. They fact check. And we can't be mad at them for that because we've taught them to do that. And if you haven't taught your child to do that, you should. And the reason I say that is because being a child who gets into the habit of fact checking will minimize to a degree the receiving of information that's not fact, that's not based on anything legitimate, is limited when they become adults, if they develop those habits now. But that's just a whole nother spill. Um, I won't even... I'll talk about that some more at a later time. But getting back to Joe Biden... I'm sorry, President Joe Biden and former President Donald Trump, I feel that when it comes to age, yes, they are both up there in age. They're both mature in age. However, when it comes to the the country, running the country, leading the country, the image of the country, I have to look at both of them separately and not just through a, you know, tube of a a lens that's just solitary, like they're the same. They're not the same. They're two completely different individuals. And one is very presidential and the other is not. And I'll just leave that at that when it comes to age. So yeah, I did watch the Super Bowl. Um, Not because I was cheering for either team. I was not, I'll be honest. I actually just wanted to see the halftime show with Usher, which I thought he did an amazing job um, on that stage. He owned it. And I loved him having everyone there Ludacris, Alicia Keys, Lil Jon, everybody. Like that whole show was everything. Um, So to watch it, enjoy it, love it, cheer for both teams, you know, because they were both excellent. They were both awesome. They did what they had to do. You know, they earned their spot where they were. But again, I I wasn't necessarily cheering for either one. 
Um, but enjoyed the halftime show. But at the the aftermath of that Super Bowl is what I want to talk about the shooting incident um, for the celebration because you know being from Dallas when I was in high school you know hopefully not telling my age but I guess I am it's okay um, the Cowboys when I was in school when I was a kid they won the Super Bowl like a couple of years in a row and I remember us having a parade to celebrate their victory of winning the Super Bowl. And I remember it was downtown and there was chaos. Like you just wouldn't expect it. You know, there people were knocking over city buses, um, throwing things from, you know, the parking lots that are like five, six stories high downtown, the parking garage, you know, standing on the top and tossing stuff down on the people that were on the street. It was chaotic. There were fights. There were people that got injured. There was a lot going on, but I don't recall, and I could be wrong if I am, let me know, but I don't recall anyone dying. I don't recall shootings happening. Um, But again, like I said, I could be wrong. Um, I say that to bring up the point that um, Kansas City's shooting was crazy. The fact that it will go down in history, this Super Bowl will go down in history for different reasons. You know, people won't stop and think about 2024 you know, the Super Bowl, the actual game, they won't stop and think about, oh my God, Usher had an amazing halftime show. They will think about shootings, violence, death in the streets of kids, you know, parents just celebrating a victory that they should be able to celebrate without chaos. But this chaos left fans and even the players in shock. And it raised a lot of concerns about safety and security at large scale events. And if you recall over recent years, this isn't the first event where there has been violence. It, it's become a trend now. It doesn't matter what event it is. If there's, if there's um, a large expectation of people or an ex- expectation of an, a large amount of people at the events, I would say, I I don't know if I want to say nine times out of 10, but let's just say the probability is high that there's going to be some act of violence by one or more persons attending that event. And these, these acts of violence are not random. They don't seem to be sporadic. They don't seem to be heat of the moment. They seem to be thought out. They seem to be planned in advance, whatever the case may be, whether it is a Super Bowl celebration or a marathon, you know, or a parade, whatever it is, those that are attending these events with vicious, malicious intent in mind, they didn't just decide to do that in the moment from what we know based on these stories. And it, for me, raises the question of are future generations going to be able to experience these festivities, these public 
festivities. If we look at the Super Bowl celebrations of 2024 in Kansas City, you know, the shooting incident, of course, it was captured on on television live. There were cameras everywhere showing fans scrambling to safety and players and officials literally ducking for cover. Some of the eyewitnesses recall moments when the shooting unfolded and they said that the scene was chaotic. People were screaming, running in all directions. One of the fans even mentioned seeing injured individuals um, being attended by medical staff. You know, there seemed to be like just pure terror and panic across the entire, I don't, stadium, then all the, the streets, you know, everyone running around and there's kids there. I can only imagine what those kids are thinking, you know, as an adult being in a situation like that, of course, it, you know, fight or flight kicks in, but as a child, you know, who's there celebrating, uh, you know, excited about a win for their team. How does something like this, how does a, how does something like a shooting being involved in a shooting or even some of these kids that actually were shot at that event, how does that resonate with them? What do they think? Are they afraid to go anywhere after that? Will they be afraid to be in large public places or or venues in the future and security at these particular events. I know when, when I was in school and we had the Cowboys parades, I don't recall there being security. I don't even know if that was even on the radar, the security was needed. But now in today's society, security is not an option in my opinion. You know, I think moving forward, organizers and authorities will no doubt have to review and bolster security protocols to prevent similar incidents from happening in the future. You know, I think the resilience and the bravery of those who responded to this crisis at the Super Bowl, it it was a testament to the dedication and the professionalism of those tasked with keeping the public safe, which is not always an easy job. And we have to remember that. So going to these public venues, you know, going to a fair, going to a carnival, going to just a party, even a club, you know, what does that mean for future generations? Are they going to be able to experience this safely, not just physically, but mentally? Will they be able to handle the type of, what is the, I, I, I don't know what a word I want to use here. Will they be able to grasp going to a public event and not being afraid? Because I don't recall being a kid growing up in a world where going to a public event put fear in my heart. <clears throat> and I hope that that's not the case for our future, our, our, the generations coming after us. Um, so what else happened in the month of February? Let's talk about Donald Trump 
and Alexi Navalier, Navalny. I I kind of want to separate the two issues, but I need to bring them together at some point um, because I think it's relevant regarding Alexi's death. Um, for those of you who don't know or who haven't been paying attention to the news, um, Alexi Navalny was a... He was a he was a lawyer in Russia, and he was a Russian opposition leader um, who stood firmly, strongly, publicly, loudly against Vladimir Putin. Um, he spent his final years imprisoned, and he was forty seven years old. He died this month, just about a week or two ago, inside of a Russian prison. He was arrested for basically not liking Putin, for speaking out against him publicly, which Putin has deemed to be treason. He considers it to be a crime in Russia. If you have anything negative to say about him, if you have any negative opinion about the way that he operates and runs the country, you are his enemy and he does not he does not deal with his enemies in a way that is diplomatic or respectful putin prefers to deal with his opposition violently and this is not just with alexei this is with a number of individuals who have opposed him or offended him over his years in office. And before I go further, I do want to state that Putin is not a king. He is not a bloodline of any royalty. Um, He is not in a position in Russia where he should, he should not be in a position in Russia where he is able to control and it's his word final word even though there's an election it doesn't matter the citizens of russia vote for their leader and like the united states that vote should matter but in russia it doesn't and not in the same way And we can argue that in the United States, there's a limit on that matter, um, the fact that it should matter, but we can save that for another day. Today, Vladimir Putin has gotten to the point where he doesn't even want competition. If you are any form of threat to his reign, per se, quote unquote, you've got to go. And he has a record of disappearing his opposition. And that included Alexei, who mysteriously died in a prison. And again, for those of you who don't know who Alexei is, I I, I do want you to read about him. You can read about him in the article that accompanies this episode. But Alexei Navalier, in my point of view, would have been a great leader for Russia if he had have been able to live. Um, 
he actually at one point was a follower of Putin. He didn't have any objection to Putin being a leader until he realized that Putin wasn't who he presented himself to be in public. And he spoke out about this. He's been speaking out about it for years. Putin already tried to kill this man once before by poisoning him on an airplane. Um, Navalny barely survived that incident. He, of course, lived to tell about it. He made a documentary about the entire thing where he has proof that it was Putin that attempted, you know, to take his life just for speaking out against him. Um, Navalny had a, has a great following even now after his death um, that support him, support what he says, support his cause, support his thought. And I'm hoping that his wife continues on with his work um, for the sake of the Russian citizens, because there are many of them who don't want Putin to be their leader. But it's not up to us as the United States to change that, um, in my opinion. That's up to the Russian citizens to do what they need to do with Vladimir Putin if they don't want him to be in office. Now, what steps it's going to take to get him out of there, I don't know. I'm not qualified to speak on that. I have my opinions, but I'll keep them to myself. Um, but... In my life, what I have noticed, especially being a history buff and, you know, studying the past, every, every house or every reign, every dynasty, whatever you want to call it, where there is a leader who is evil in the eyes of some people, who oppresses their people, who lies to their people, who steals from their people, who live high on the hog. I know this is Texas, um, a Southern expression, but they live high on the hog. They don't have any real connection to anything outside of their palace. Their life is very different. Those individuals that don't connect, that don't hear their citizens or subjects, their constituents, as we call them here in, in the States, they fall. Those dynasties fall. I can't remember, I can't recall a, a dynasty that didn't. Now, granted, there are times where it has taken generations for that to happen. Um, if you want to go to religious text of any kind, it doesn't matter what religion it is. There have been instances where it might have taken generations to get that dynasty out of there. In today's times, it shouldn't take generations. <clears throat> Putin is not a young man. Someone has to come behind him. Of course, there are a few individuals that we know of that could secede him once he is incapable of fulfilling his duties or if something happens to him, whatever the case may be, they're in line. But are they any better? You know, it kind of goes along with that whole concept of the devil you know versus the devil you don't know. But 
the world knows this particular devil, quote unquote. We know what Putin is capable of. We know what he does. We see it every day. It's in our faces. Can't really deny it at this point. But what we can do is figure out how we are going to deal with it, which is a subject matter in the media that I don't feel like is discussed enough. You know, I hear, I, I watch the news regularly. Um, it's, it's part of my day. Just making sure I, I stay in touch with what's going on in the world because I don't want to be one of those people who's misinformed or is clueless to what's happening, which I believe is a problem, especially here in the States. Um, and I will, I, I can talk about that a little more, more in a minute, but watching the news every day and seeing what these leaders are doing, all of it is connected regardless of, of if you want to ignore it or not. Okay. Um, so getting back to Donald Trump and Alexei Navalier, um, As far as the two of them as individuals, their character, they're very different, okay? They, I, I should say Navalier and Trump were very different. Navalier's not with us, so let me use past tense. Um, Navalier's death, which the Russian prison announced after, of course, him surviving the poisoning attempts, um, which one was in 2020, if I'm not mistaken, and he was poisoned with a military nerve agent during a business trip to Russia. And even after that, Navalier crusaded for years on exposing corruption in Putin's government, blaming the poisoning attempt on Russian, on the, the president, the Russian president Putin. The Kremlin denied any involvement, of course, in the poisoning attempts and dismissed suggestions that Putin was behind Navalier's death. Even though that we know that this particular nerve agent, it was military issued. So who would have it other than the government, right? <clears throat> okay. So after Navalny was killed, his death drew a widespread, widespread, heartfelt, you know, sympathies, um, words of whatever you want to call it, grief, from everyone, from from all international leaders, including President Joe Biden, who said he was both not surprised and outraged, quote, unquote. When Donald Trump was president, he described Navalier's poisoning as, quote, tragic and, quote, terrible, something that, quote, shouldn't have happened. However, after days of silence, since Navalier's death, former President Donald, Donald Trump, he finally gave a comment. He didn't say a word for days. And it was it was sad. It was all over the news. Like, why hasn't he responded? But he didn't say a word for days. And when he finally gave his comment, it was not, it didn't resemble what he had said when he was president. 
Um, in fact, Trump did not directly comment at all on how or whom was responsible for Alexei's death. He instead compared Alexei's murder to his own legal peril and the alleged political persecution that he claims he's facing here in the United States. Trump told the media that Alexei's death makes him aware of, quote, what's happening in our country, unquote. The relationship between Donald Trump and R Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny has been a complex but an intriguing one. And it's been marked by tensions and alliances. Alliances. Um, as two prominent figures on the world stage, their interactions have, they've been global politics and activism, significant things. Um, however, very, very different things, I, I want to say. So going into that a little deeper, <clears throat> and I won't stay on this topic forever, I promise. Um, Donald Trump and Alexei Navalny, they had limited interactions with each other over the years, largely due to the geographical and political divide separating them. Alexei, of course, was a vocal critic of Vladimir Putin. He gained international attention for his anti-corruption activism and political campaigns in Russia. And he was pro-democracy and anti-corruption, which goes against everything that Putin stands for, you know, he aligns with liberal values that are often at odds with Trump's conservative populism. So Trump, on the other hand, served as the president from 2017 to 2021 with a foreign policy agenda that often clashed with Russia's interest. However, Donald Trump is a self-proclaimed fan of Vladimir Putin. And he takes every opportunity, even now, every opportunity available to praise him on the world stage. And Navalny did not shy away from criticizing Trump's politics and statements, particularly on issues related to Russia. So in, in saying that, if you look at the politics of Trump, you look at the politics of Putin, they somewhat align at this point, which was very different than what Alexei, what Alexei was, I, don't, I, I kind of don't want to use the word preaching, but it is, he was preaching to his followers, you know, and he was very critical of Trump. He considered Trump to be someone who cozied up with authoritarian leaders like Putin. And Trump, on the other side, has not been a vocal supporter of Alexei. Despite the physical distance between Trump and Alexei Navalny, Trump has not publicly expressed a stance, a strong stance on Alexei. He's been focused more on his administration's relationship with Putin and Russia as a whole. 
well, I should say his former administration and in his mind, his future administration, that's his focus. Um, however, there are indirect interactions through global media coverage and diplomatic channels that played a role in shaping perceptions of each of these individuals. Trump's policies, particularly his administration's approach to Russia, they had indirect effects on Alexei's activism and influence. Trump's friendly rhetoric towards Putin and his reluctance to directly confront the Russian leader have also been seen as hindrances to Alexei's cause. And critics argue that Trump's lack of strong stance on human rights abuses in Russia may have emboldened Putin's government to crack down on dissent, including Alexei's activism. And as a result, Alexei's efforts to challenge the status quo in Russia have they forced obstacles in the form of limiting international support from leaders like Trump was as president. Um, I'm still trying to get used to speaking about Alexei Navalny in past tense um, since he's passed away. So forgive me if I've used any present tense words um, because it's still shocking that he's no longer here. And I was actually looking forward to seeing what he did as a, a leader in that country and how things changed or if they changed with him becoming someone who stood up against Putin and survived. Um, looking forward to him getting out of prison, et cetera, et cetera. All of those things that we will now not know. Um, so, you know, my condolences to his family and to all of his followers, you know, it's a sad, it's a sad day when you can't have competition without death. You know, to me, it takes a very small individual, a very, um, it, it takes a tiny man to kill someone for just not liking them. Um, it, it sounds like high school students, you know, and I'll just, I'll leave that. I'll leave that at that. What else has happened? Um, so much. So I, I want to touch quickly on the FBI informant on Biden's the Hunter Biden situation. Um, this guy, first of all, news has told us now that he was he got his information from Russia. Convenient. The same story is the story that you know Congress Republicans, the GOP, has been touting in the the news media the whole basis of their impeachment investigation, the hearings against Biden were based on the testimony of this solitary individual. And here we are finding out that he made the whole thing up. However, Hunter Biden still had to go to court and have a closed door testimony in the House GOP probe. Why? Why? 
why is he even in there having these conversations and from news coverage a lot of the questions that he's being asked have nothing to do with the situation but why is he even there if this the whole case was based on testimony that we know is a lie it's a it's astonishing to me the way that our justice system works if, if we can even call it that you know and, and i'm not here to stand on a, a podium and you know with a megaphone to say that the biden family is you know pure snow i don't know that i don't know that i do know of certain things that are questionable from the past but i'm not sure how relevant it is right now with everything that's going on right now you know it's equivalent to me thinking back on you know my life or, or life of individuals that i know from 20 years ago that person is not the same person today so should i hold what they did then against them now if they clearly are not the same person not to say that excuses any bad behavior or questionable behavior but first show me facts on that behavior don't talk to me about something that is supposed to change the game and then we find out that your source is a liar okay moving on Mitch McConnell stepped down from or is stepping down from his leader position. Oh my God. Who was expecting that? I was not expecting that. When I saw that on the news yesterday, it blew my mind. First of all, I'm not a fan of Mitch McConnell on any level, you know, regardless of how long he's been in the Senate. I it that part you know, your credentials, you've been there for a long time. I think it's been like 30, 40 years. Fantastic. But I don't look at him as being any form of hero or someone that we should miss. And I say that simply because Mitch McConnell is so wishy-washy on things that matter. And specifically, I am referring to the way he handled the insurrection, Donald Trump and the insurrection on January 6th. There are so many things that I feel Mitch McConnell could have done to prevent that from happening. One, two, his, his actions afterwards leading up to today, he could have done things differently to where we are not where we are today with Donald Trump you know, day after day, delaying prosecution for crimes that he's been accused of. Some of those crimes we watch live on television. You know, I think Mitch McConnell should have spoken up better than he did. I feel that based on his speech um, on the floor yesterday, that he feels some resentment for some things. He feels some regret for some things. He's just not ready to say it out loud because he still has to work with these people every day. Um, I, I'm going to bet money that at some point he's going to put out a memoir. He's probably already written it where he'll tell us how he really felt 
um, but how he was afraid to say it or whatever the case may be. And we'll see what happens when that's actually released. But my question right now is who's, who's going to replace him, you know, um, because there are a lot of people vying for his seat. They want it bad, but it goes back to the devil. We know is, is the new devil going to be worse than the devil that was already there. You know, let's not look at Mitch McConnell or any of these white haired old men and women in government. Let's not look at them as these little fragile creatures because of their age. He's in his eighties. Now these individuals have not always been senior citizens. They were young adults at some point, you know, full of enthusiasm and vitality and scandal and whatever the case may be. They, they had it all and they did a lot of dirt in their years leading up to them being the white haired, you know, men and women in government. So close your eyes and try not to visualize them as being this old, weak, you know, person, crypt keepers or whatever. Think about what they were like before. Now they're just old and well positioned and they've made a ton of money off of everything that they've done. Do not feel bad for them. Don't. You can have empathy, of course. I'm a strong believer in empathy. But empathy to me is not the same as sympathy. I don't have any sympathy for any of these individuals. But I can empathize with their emotions and feelings as human beings, if that makes sense. Okay. Um... Other recent news, the Michigan primaries. Well, President Joe Biden had a wake-up call regarding the citizens of, of Michigan and what they wanted from him. We had, or he had, should I say, 13.2%, 101,449 uncommitted votes in the Michigan primary which basically is a voting against Joe Biden. And the reason is Gaza, Israel, everything that's happening in this war. The citizens of Michigan are taking it personally that Joe Biden has not fixed the situation. And I understand where they're coming from as far as the dynamics of what's happening over there, the war and why it's continuing on, the the civilians, regular everyday people being targeted, even in today's news where over a hundred people were killed just trying to get food from trucks because they are literally on the verge of of famine where they are they are they're struggling they're starving their families are starving and all they wanted was food and what happens they go to get this food and fire breaks out 
reports say that the the Israel military just opened fire on individuals trying to get food from a food truck. And and when I say food truck, I'm not talking about, oh, we got tacos on Tuesday. No, I'm talking about what would be equivalent to a food drive from a church, a food stamps, basically. You ha- are in poverty. And the only meal, the only food you can get is this truck that comes through here and you have to wait in line behind hundreds of people to get even a bag of flour so that you could possibly try to feed your family whatever number family members you have you can try to feed them and hope that it stretches until you have an opportunity to get food from somewhere else and to me that's that's scary because it could happen that could happen to any of us just imagine even being in the united states with the freedoms that we do take for granted and war strike there's a war bomb drops whatever the case may be nothing works internet doesn't work electricity doesn't work phone doesn't work water's not running and you're you've got kids at home it doesn't matter the age of the child you've got your parents you senior citizens folks that you're taking care of and you cannot feed them and you just need to find food so you make this journey you don't know what's going to happen to you on the way there you make this journey to a truck to get food and in the course of that experience gunshots break out people all over the place running die injured the trucks the drivers of the trucks from the news meet the reports floored it because of the gunfire they were running scared didn't know what was happening they floored it running over people these are human beings these are human bodies being plowed by trucks big trucks all because they needed food so I understand the outcry when it comes to the Michigan voters not wanting to cast their vote for Biden Um, because of what is going on the young voters and the Arab American Democrats protesting in the form of an uncommitted vote it does shine a light on the situation in a different way especially for the Biden administration Israel's war in Gaza or you know basically they're telling him he needs to change the course of it or risk losing a significant chunk of his support in this area, you know, and he can't afford to do that, especially right now. He cannot afford to lose votes. Now, I can't say that these voters are going to make a huge dent in the election, but if the trend continues to other states, it's possible. It's it's very possible because that's a significant number of people in Michigan that was 13.2 percent 
you know, he did have others running against him, but they had like less than 3% in votes, but it's still a significant amount of votes. So if you add the uncommitted votes for those who refuse to vote because of the situation, um, the Gaza situation, then you add the votes that were cast for other candidates. Um, we're looking at probably 140 plus thousand people out that did not want to vote for Joe Biden in this particular primary election. So I hope that his team takes a good look at that and makes some changes. I, I don't really know what he can do by himself. I think that we put way too much responsibility on government leaders, um, presidents, mayors, governors, all of them. I We rely on other people way too much in this country. That's my opinion. We, it doesn't matter what president we have, we expect for them to come in and fix all the problems. And I just don't think it's realistic. I mean, if it was realistic, it would be done, right? They would have fixed everything, but it's not realistic. The expectations are too high. That's not even what they're really there for. But that's what we, that's what we expect from them. And we shouldn't. All right. So lastly, I think, I mean, like I said, there's so many things we could talk about for February, but I'll wait. I'll wait until March and see what happens between now and then. But I do want to touch on Nikki Haley, um, who, of course, is the Republican candidate running against Donald Trump. She's losing tremendously. However, her numbers, uh, the number of votes that she's receiving to me is impressive. Even though she's lost in all of these locations, I'm impressed that she's gotten the votes, the numbers that she's received. And, and the reason I make this point is because it really shows the divide in the GOP, in the Republican Party. Um, I think that most of us walking around who, you know, those that don't care for Trump at all, instantly think that all Republicans are pro-Trump. And it's not true regardless of how much he puts in the media that they all love him. They don't. Nikki Haley's numbers are amazing. And she's getting a lot of slack in public right now from the GOP because she won't drop out of the race. Um, And I've heard their reasons for being upset with her. But at the same time, I completely understand why she refuses to drop out and based on what she has said Nikki Haley has said on numerous occasions on different platforms that there will be a woman president it's either going to be her or Kamala Harris it won't be Joe Biden or Donald Trump and that logic is not completely crazy. If you think about it, Donald Trump has so many lawsuits pending right now. He's in trouble. Regardless of how you look at it, he's in trouble. Yes, we have a while till we get to November, but it's going to go by just like that. And 
even though with the delays and the trials, et cetera, et cetera, he's losing ground in a lot of places, even though he's winning. Let's, let's make no mistake about that. But if he becomes ineligible to be on the ballot, where do the Republicans go? I think that's where Nikki Haley is. I think she's in that gray matter. I think in her mind, she knows that the Republican Party is pro-Trump because she was pro-Trump. But I think that she's trying to give the Republicans an alternative. And based on what she's saying, it sounds to me that she's saying, you know what? I know that you all feel this way about him. But he doesn't represent us. He represents what himself, basically. She's saying that you don't have to settle for Donald Trump because I'm right here. And I know that there are some things that I believe that all of you might not believe, but we can find middle ground diplomatically versus you just voting for this guy because he's popular. Popularity does not make you a good leader. And for that, and that's saying if that is what she's intending, I admire her for saying, for for staying in the game. Nikki Haley to me is a lifeline for the Republican Party. Now, I can't say she's going to get my vote because there are a lot of things that I don't agree with when it comes to Nikki Haley, but I find myself liking her character a little bit more than I did before. And I'm hoping I'm not wrong about that. Um, So if you are a Republican or consider considering voting in the Republican primaries, really take a look at Nikki Haley. And I think that people need to look at her outside of Trump because right now the Republican party is not even looking at her. Well, I should say a chunk of them. They're not even considering her. They don't even care what she stands for. They would much rather vote for a guy who has no policies. And and it's interesting to me to constantly listen to the GOP talk about, oh, I agree with Trump's domestic policies and his foreign policies and rah, rah, rah. What domestic policies? What foreign policies? When he is in front of that podium speaking to his fans, All I hear is a stand-up comedy show where he just rags on people until he runs out of breath. I don't hear him laying out details on how he's going to fix anything. He likes to talk a lot about what's going on on the southern border. I live in Texas. I can't, Donald Trump is not around here helping. I don't care if he shows up to go to a, to a border just so he can get some pictures taken of him there. None of that matters. I haven't seen or heard him lay out a step one, a step two, a step three on what he's going to do. He didn't even finish building the wall that he said he was going to build. So 
what domestic policies and what foreign policies are we in love with GOP? Is it what he was preaching in 2016 when he was running against Hillary? Because I don't hear him talking about those things now. I don't hear him talking about bringing the country together. I hear him talking about the Republican Party on a regular basis, but I don't hear him acknowledging everyone else who's not a Republican. I don't hear him talking about, you know, the different issues that most of us are concerned with. I hear him talking about him, his legal troubles, the amount of money he's being fined, him raising money. He's even on his website selling shoes to raise money. Come on. Anyway, I could go on and on and on about this stuff, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm going to leave it at that. I I have my thoughts. I have my opinions. I'm just sharing them because I know I'm not the only one, but I would definitely love to hear your thoughts, your opinions. So contact me. Leave your messages in the comments, in the chat. Message me on the website. Come on my show. Let's talk about it. Even if you don't agree with what I'm saying, let's talk about it. We should be able to do that in a democracy because that's what we are. I want to thank you again for joining me on another episode of Coffee, Cocktails, and Conversation with Felicia. I hope you have a wonderful day on purpose and let's chat again soon. Don't forget to subscribe. Bye.